you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to be concentrating on verses 3 and 4, 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Um, oh, they've got a poster for me. Um, I want to ask you a question before we get started, and that question is, what have you been doing to grow and nurture your inner life? What have you been doing not to settle for the last time you had a great spiritual high, for lack of a better word? What have you been doing so that you can have a consistent, daily, moment by moment, minute by minute, intimate walk with Christ? Think about that for a second. Um, Church Project Greeley. I want to ask you some questions. The first question was individually for all of you. This is for us as a body. How do we change the way people see Christ, Christians, and church? Is it by, do we make up our mind that that's what we want to do, and we come and we have a certain structure or uh, a certain idea about how you do church or a certain building? How do we change the way people see Christ, Christians, and church? How are we to be biblical, simple, and relevant? What does that mean? Um, What do we mean by that? And how is that going to aid us in our mission of changing the way people see Christ, Christians, and church? Um, And now I want you to think about this question. When we as a body look back three to five years from now, how will we know that we did these things which we've been called here to do? How will we know that we lived and ministered and worshipped in a way that was biblical, simple, and relevant and that changed the way people see Christ, Christians, and the church? Think of some things. Um, I've written down three words, or I've thought of three words that I think helped me sort of sort of capsulize it. It's, it's becoming, building, and bridging. Um, the first, uh, or the second one, the building part, is about building a strong body that represents Christ. That's us, building ourselves up as a body in Christ, being close with one another, loving one another, caring for one another. Also, the building part is finding a place and having a location that um, that's men and established to glorify God. And then the bridging part is our networking with other churches, planting, helping other churches plant, helping churches that are in, in our network, helping churches that are in our county. Um, and also coming alongside ministries in northern Colorado, uh, whether it be the Food Bank, Salvation Army, the um, Pregnancy Crisis Center. Um, Habitat for Humanity. There's just numerous ones out there. Coming alongside them, pinpointing specific needs, and aiding our members in fulfilling those needs in our church. So that's building and bridging. But today I want to talk to you about becoming. Um, The becoming part is about our becoming individually and corporatively as a church, all that God wants us to be inside and out. It's about becoming lovers of God. See, The truth of the matter is, we can come here and we can say, 
We want to do these certain things. We want to be a different type of church. We want to be a different kind of body. But the truth of the matter is that it starts with you. We can have, we can organize things as differently as we want to organize things. We can have the coolest websites. We can have the coolest sanctuary and worship center. We can have the coolest programs. Whatever, whatever that stuff is, we we can have all that. But if we do that before we become who God wants us to be, and before that is at the core of our being. It's all externals. It's all externals. So, back to our question. What seriously and honestly are you doing to solidify your inner self? To grow your spirit? To strengthen your soul? To have an intimate relationship with Christ. Turn to um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Peter, the disciple and apostle of Christ, writes, Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self, with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. At first glimpse of this passage, it looks like it's out of place. We've been dealing for weeks with this issue of submission. We've been dealing with it for weeks with this issue of standing up against oppression, with claiming the joy that is Christ. And right before this verse, he's talking about wives submitting to your your husbands. Right before that, he's talking about slaves submitting to your masters. And then all of a sudden, he says, oh, by the way, don't adorn yourself with all that stuff. Adorn yourself inwardly. I think that the reason Peter did that is that Peter knows all that has preceded this and all that will come after this, that he instructs us in how Christians should live is predicated upon this. Not dressing up the outside, but taking care of the inside. That's why I said, we can do everything right and it can fall flat if we're not walking in the with Christ. You know, I've been in services where the most talented musicians and worship leaders and singers were present. And I believe God was weeping. They hit every note right. They sang every note precisely. All the sound was just balanced, just right. And God wept. And I've been in little country churches where an 80-year-old lady could barely play the piano and it hadn't been tuned since the 40s. And God's spirit fell. It's about our insights. It's about our inner life. Um, And here's the principle I believe Peter is giving us. Don't be obsessed with how you look on the outside. Be very, very concerned 
with how beautiful you are on the inside. The outside beauty fades away, but the inside beauty lasts forever. The application and illustration of these verses are pretty culturally contextualized. I don't think that Peter is worried about outward adornment. I don't think that's the point he's making. And I think it shows the church how much we're focused on externals that for almost any time you read this passage, you hear a preacher preach on this passage, they start preaching on modesty. He was given an example of what not to do. Don't be worried about outward appearances. Be worried about the inside. Turn also to Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your who wants to finish that for me in your inner being in your inner being your inner being the part that feels the part that is your character the part that is you in the dark and alone the part that you can hide from everyone else, but you can't hide from God. The part that's your conscience, the part that's your spirit that cries out for something more at times. He says he wants to strengthen you by his spirit in your inner life. And he calls it a glorious rich riches. Um, and then 2 Corinthians 4.16 It'll be the last verse we look at this morning. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. What are we doing to strengthen our inner self day by day? As we look at this passage, the first question we ask ourselves is what does Paul mean by this inner-outer distinction. What is he talking about, about the outside and the inside? Um, and I want to say for, uh, up front, the Bible is a very holistic book, and it looks at the body, it looks at our, at our being as a very holistic being. We are one being. We are body, soul, and spirit, but we are one. Each has a distinction, but they're not separate. And the reason I'm saying that is in Western culture, we have a strong Greek, Platonic, philosophical viewpoint that's just infused in our culture. And since the day you were born, you've been getting it. And that comes to a point where, where we begin to think physical, bad, spiritual, good. And it's almost second nature to us. The body's bad, it causes us to sin, it's fallen, the spirit's good, God is there. When you surrender your life to Christ, you surrender all to Christ. When God created your body, he said it was good. When Jesus died, he died in resurrection power so your body would be resurrected one day. Um, they, the scripture does not see this, this inner outer distinction that they talk about, that we, we hear so much about. Um, from a biblical perspective, there's nothing evil about your body other than its fallenness, which Christ came to redeem. 
So if you become a, once you become a Christian, not only has your soul and spirit been redeemed, but your body has been redeemed. God has come to redeem your body, and when the resurrection comes, it will be fully completed, and we will come like Christ. Um, so on a biblical perspective, we are a whole people who live in a fallen world under the bondage of sin, including ourselves. So we're a whole being, but we live under the bondage of sin. So what I'm saying is, I'm not necessarily saying the body's always good and the spirit's um, always good or bad. They both have to deal with sin. We deal with sin issues in our spirit life, too, in our inner life. And I think probably the biggest sin issue we deal is ignoring our inner life. And, and thinking that if we dress up our inner life with a bunch of effort, that somehow that'll make a difference when all it is is window dressing. And it eventually fades away if you don't deal with the inner life. If you just think, okay, I'm going to improve my spiritual life by doing a bunch of stuff. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to hang around with better people. I'm going to volunteer at the soup kitchen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But you never deal with this nagging within you that longs to be more intimate and more in tune with Christ. It's just window dressing. It's just performance. So what Paul means by inner and outward is not good and bad. So if he doesn't mean good and bad, what does he mean? Well, our outer nature is everything that's public. Our outer nature is our look that's public, our sound, our, our, our everything that's outer, everything that's public. But not just with the body, it's also all our relationships our interactions, our possessions. Anything that is part of this external world is what he's talking about, about the outward self, and how we interact with it, and how it interacts with us. Um, all the outside stuff, all your social relations, friendships, co-workers, family, neighbors, spouse, more than just your body, but what you do with your body is what he's talking about. It's the exterior world and the way we interact with it. It's not necessarily bad, but in a fallen world, it can become bad. Um, you know, one of the earliest ways it becomes bad is through manipulation. You know, babies crying for mama. And my, my, one of the first words we ever say. Um, Micah has learned to manipulate, believe it or not, through his outer self. And I, uh, his brothers have said for years that there could be a nuclear war and Micah and a woman over on the other side of the world could be the only two human beings left on earth and Micah would find her and she would feed him. Um, he knows how to work it. Uh, he just comes right up and he caresses your cheek and he looks in your eye and he goes, oh. <laughs> and women say, oh, baby, what do you want? Um, and uh, he knows how to do it. It's, it's, it's what we do. Um, and what happens in this outer world is we begin to concentrate on all this external stuff, all our possessions, all our time, all our relationships, what I want with this and that and this and that. And then we begin to become competitive with each other. We even do it in the church. We become competitive with each other for titles, for positions, for time with somebody. Um, and all of that is our external selves. And we spend almost all our energy on that. 
on the outside. Um, here's a way of thinking about it. I, um, and this will give you a good idea of what I mean by inner and outer. I'm going to show you some pictures of my grandfather. And this is my grandfather when he was about uh, five or six years old. He's the one that circled. He always passed it around. Uh, his name was Clyde Longshore, five or six years old. Um, here is a picture of my grandfather um, when he was about uh, 19. And he was going into World War One, dressed up like a bellboy, headed overseas. Um, Now here, here's my um, grandfather. He was he was about 50 here, and this was in World War II. His his oldest son had, had died in World War II, and they came to his home to give give his family their medals, and that's him receiving the medal there. About 50, and here he is. As a grandfather, not a father, not a son, but as a grandfather, and uh, with with two of his grandkids. And right there, he's about sixty-five. About sixty-five. And then this is him shortly before he died. Um, he's about seventy-eight here, and then shortly before he died with his wife, my grandmother. Now. As we look at those pictures of Clyde Longshore, there are some similarities. But I want to ask you, is the Clyde Longshore externally, let's think externally, is the Clyde Longshore in the first picture I showed you, the Clyde Longshore in the last picture I showed you? Externally? No. He sounds different. He looks different. He hears differently. He has certain knowledge and relationships and experiences that he didn't have at younger. His relationship with God is even different from when he was a young boy to when he was an older man. Although all that is true, he's much taller, much heavier, much older. Although all that is true, we instinctively know and claim that that's the same person, don't we? Don't we? So I'm going to ask you, what's the constant here? What's the constant that would cause us to say that's Clyde Grip, that's Clyde um, Longshore? Yeah, the spirit is in our life. There's something about our being created by God in the midst of who we are that we instinctively know that that's that person. And it's not their outside. It's what's inside. It's their spirit and their soul and what is inside. Um, so, Everything visible shows us a different light longshore. But we intuitively know he's the same person. Why do we recognize and accept that? It is what the Bible calls the heart, the soul and the spirit. It is the center of everything. It's what endures. 
through divorces, through loss of sons, through a war, through grandchildren that disappointed and failed. It's what endures and lasts. It's what hangs on. It's what never gives up. Um, it's the place where you decide your character. It's the place where you decide your integrity, the place where you decide your virtue. It is the center of your being. It is the part of you that can bring forth transformation. It's the sanctuary where God speaks to us. And if you believe Scripture and are a believer, it is where God dwells. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's a sanctuary. Um, so, here's the trouble. Even though we say and profess that cognitively up here in our head, we live in a country and in a culture which even the concept of the inner self seems odd, seems out of place. In fact, as I'm talking here, some people are probably thinking, what is he getting at? What, is he, what does he mean by all this? What do I hang my head on? Just tell me what to do with my external self and I'll go do it. That's what I mean. Um, we live in a culture that makes us addicted to the exterior. All of our attention and our self-definition comes from the outside, not the inside. The fall into sin, it makes us prone to this direction, to the exterior direction. If it is real, you must be able, we think, able to touch, feel, taste, see it. If you can't touch, feel, taste, and see it, then it must not be. But that's very unbiblical. Because the biblical worldview tells us that there is a existence. There is a heavenly realm. There is a God that transcends our understanding, transcends even our experience. And it's out there. And it interacts with our inner being when we allow it to. When we desire for it to. Um, so our orientation is exclusively for the outside. This is why we're inclined to spend so much more time on money and resources on our outer self. This is why our culture has such a preoccupation with bodies, with sex, with young, with virile, with tan, with tone, with fashionable. We live in a culture that worships youth, if not despises age. It most assuredly dismisses it. In most cultures, it's just the opposite. In most cultures, they revere the old and they ignore the young because they consider the old to have wisdom that the young hasn't been attained yet. But because we're so focused as a culture on bodies and on fashion and on experience, um, we spend all our energies there. And it's even seeped into the church. Um, the number one thing that I've discovered that people want, they don't want knowledge, they don't want, um, they don't want, uh, you know, anything other than they want an experience. They want to go somewhere and, ha and something happen to them. Um, they're focused on the exterior. Do you realize, and I just thought about this the other day when I was preparing this, that sex in our culture now is seen as a need. Not as a desire, not as a want, not as a pleasure, but as a need 
a basic human right. The U UN passes resolutions establishing where people can do this. The um, Obamacare medical thing has established upon that predicate. You know, they're going to cover Viagra and they're going to cover birth, con uh, birth control for women and they're going to cover abortions because people have a right to do this without consequences. Is the thinking. It's becoming me. That's our focus on the external instead of the internal. Um, the ex addiction to the exterior is also why so many of us, so frankly, stay busy and stressed out. Why? Because I got to get more stuff. Why? Because I got to be one up with the guy at work. I got to have a better car than him. Why? Because my kids have to go to this, 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 and this, and I've got to pay for it all. And I need to stay on the road and run them from here to there. Because we're so focused on the exterior. Child rearing today. Instead of building character within our kids, what are we concentrating on child rearing? Giving them everything we didn't have. Exterior. The mindset is what the scripture calls the flesh. So I want you, if, if you have a pen or something, I want you to write this down. If not, I want you to listen very closely. To the level that we experience the exterior at the expense of the interior. To the level that we experience the exterior at the expense of the interior, God will be related to as an unreality in our lives. So to the level that you ignore your interior for all this running around and busyness and chasing this exterior golden dreams we put out there is the, is the level that God will be ignored and God will be an unreality in your lives. He won't seem real to you. And I think this is the, I think this is a, the, the, the calamity, the, the crisis in the modern American church. We have all these people who have asked Christ into their hearts but in a very, in a very um, real way, he's an unreality to them. No, I'm not saying they don't believe. Yeah, they believe, but it's 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 some out here kind of belief. They believe, but they've never made the connection. They've never felt it. The core they're being, or if they have felt it, it's been so long ago that they forgot what it feels like. And it's because they're so prone and focused on the exterior. Even when they decide they're going to get their spiritual life in, 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 uh, in order, and they go up to the front and they repent and they rededicate their life and everything, they still go out and they begin to focus on what? Doing right things. Following correct formulas. Instead of focusing on their inner life. So, the joy, the peace, the comfort, the power, all the things that Scripture promises will never be fully experienced until you make the decision to cultivate your inner life and relationship with Christ. You will theoretically believe, but the reality will never prevent you. To the degree that we are addicted to the exterior is the degree that we condemn ourselves to living a shallow and meaningless life. To the degree that we are committed to the exterior is to the degree that we commit ourselves to living a shallow and meaningless life. 
where we chase after one buzz after another buzz, one spirit experience after another experience. That's why people switch churches so much. I'm just going to tell you. The reason people switch churches so much is it's just not doing it for me anymore. Well, they come in and it's, it's awesome. They've never experienced this. They've got this van. They've got these lights. They've got this. They've got that. Oh, man, this is so cool. But after a while, it kind of just gets old. So let's move over here to this other church that's kind of avant-garde and, and, and trendy and, and artistic and all this. And you see all this and you experience that and it's really cool. But then it gets kind of old. Because they're focused on the exterior of things. Um, so the question is, how do we get in touch with the inner life and the inner self? And how do we strengthen our inner self? Um, vision, intention means them. I want you to think for a second, what will you look like a year from now if you today made a commitment to cultivate your inner life? Say, so spend three hours more a week with Jesus in quiet, in solitude, in laughter, in dancing, whatever. But just you and Jesus. What do you look like as a Christian that will change the way people see you if you were to do this? What would happen to you that would change the way people see Christians? Change the way people see Christ? Um, the next is means. Um, how will you get there? How will you do it? And two of the immediate things that I want to talk about. Talk about um, the first is you have to surrender your outer self to God. You have to surrender your outer self to God. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Take everything that is a part of our exterior and offer it up to God. Dallas Willard even talks about taking a day to do this. And it's something that you have to do Continually, because we fall back into old patterns because our sin nature is drawn towards what? The exterior. So he says, take a day, take a few hours, lay prostrate. And some of you may think that is odd, but did you know what you know what the um, Greek word for worship actually means? Prostrate. So lay prostrate and say, go through it. Say, God, I give you my hands. Take my hands. Use them. If you can think of things to use them for, say it. Go through your whole body. I give it to you, Lord. I surrender it to you. And then not just your body, but what you do, your relationships, your possessions, all the exterior, surrender it to God. Take a day to do that. You'll be surprised what links are broken when you do that um, in true repentance. And then secondly... Um, you need to feed your inner self. You need to feed your inner self. Take time. Um, there's no shortcut. Uh, rest with Jesus. Worship God. Reflect on life. Meditate on Scripture. Listen to God. Exercise spiritual authority. Build your inner life. We're going to try to put resources up on the website for, for that. Spiritual exercises, prayers, different things like that. But you've got to make that commitment. Now, if you're like me, I know what everybody in here is thinking. Um, well, I don't have the time for that. I'm so busy 
doing all this stuff that I don't have time to take three hours out of what he is doing with Jesus. Well, I'm going to answer your question. If I were to tell you that I would give you $1,000 an hour, $1,000 an hour to come and sit with me for three hours a week, would you make time? What does that say about us? That our first thought is, I don't have time for this. I'm already too busy. But as soon as money's been on the table, oh yeah, I can do that. Which is more valuable to you? Your relationship with Jesus or the dog? So, I want to take a few minutes and I want us to sit in perfect silence. Everybody just close your eyes. And I want you to ask God, I want you to ask God to give you a vision. Give you a vision of what you could be a year from now if you spent more time with Jesus. How would your character change? How would your countenance change? How would your interactions with your spouse and your children and your co-workers change? What kind of neighbor would you be? the intention part. Will you decide to do it? I'm going to work on my inner life. I'm going to spend more time with Jesus. Just me and him. Will you do it? And then third, ask God to provide you with all that you need to do it. For some, it may be a place where there aren't any distractions. Whatever it is, ask God to give you whatever you need to make that commitment. Let's pray. Lord, I um, thank you. I thank you for these words of wisdom. Father, our hearts cry out to you this morning. We want to know you more. We want to know you better. We want to know you richer and deeper. Give us eyes that are your eyes. That value the things that you value. That love the things that you love. Give us a heart and a soul and a spirit. Give us an inner life that longs spend more time with you. Give us eyes of discernment that sees the foolishness of spinning our wheels and running after things that are pointless, that are futile, that fade away. 
Father, we'll be the first to admit that we don't often know what we're doing. But we love you. And we want to be your voice, your light, your body here in this community. But we are not arrogant enough to presume that in our own wisdom, in our own decisions, in the external things of this world, that any of that would matter a hill of beans if we're not connected with you, if we're not in union with you, if we do not weep with you and laugh with you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.